0: Well, we looked at this passage last week and we got the first six verses. Um, there are some 30 verses here. So um, hopefully go a little bit faster. Joseph, the great grandson of Abraham, finds himself in terrible circumstances. And we mustn't lose sight of how terrible this is. First of all, we've learned from chapter 37 that Joseph was the product of a highly dysfunctional family with a father playing favorites and buying gifts for one's sons and and stoking up resentment among his sons. Then we saw the hatred of his brothers that turned to a violent rage to the point that they were willing to kill their brother but decided in the end to sell him into slavery. So here's Joseph, he's lost his home, he's lost his family, he's lost everything that he dreamed of, he thinks, and he becomes a slave, and he's sold into the house of Potiphar. And then the story goes on to tell us how Joseph will be um, falsely accused. He will be the victim of sexual abuse, harassment in the workplace, and he will end up thrown into prison at the end of the chapter. You know, one of the things we can take from this is quite simply this, whatever it means to be part of God's family, it doesn't mean life's going to be easy. It doesn't mean we're going to be sheltered from terrible situations. That was very clear in this passage. Sometimes we think that's the deal, don't we? we, we, we things do go terribly wrong, and we think, where, where is God? Why has God allowed this? And all I would say is we read through Scripture, we, we, we learn that that's not the deal. Being a follower of the Lord Jesus, being someone devoted to God, does not mean we will not find ourselves in terrible, terrible situations. But here's what the Bible says in, in, in the part that we read last week. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with him. And whatever that means, it doesn't mean that everything is just hunky-dory. The Lord is in the brokenness and the fallenness of this world. He's in the dysfunctionality of families. The abuse we sometimes get from people that we, that we think we can trust in our own homes. The abuse that sometimes comes in an employment situation. The abuse that comes in an unjust situation. The abuse that comes in so many ways. God is in that, but in, and for the Christian, he's not making it all go away. But the other side of this, for Joseph and for us... Is that there's a family dream because the story of Genesis that it goes through is not just the story of the broken world that comes from the fall it's the story of the loving creator who made this world and yearns for its healing and that loving creator starts a plan that begins in Genesis as he calls this particular family this particular people the children of Abraham and he gives them a promise he says I will bless you but through you I will also bless all the nations. Now, here's the thing. Again, whatever that promise of blessing means for Abraham's family, it doesn't mean everything is going to be hunky-dory. It doesn't mean everything is going to go well. In fact, the second book of the family of Abraham, the book of Exodus, is about how the whole people ended up slaves for 400 years. It doesn't get much worse than that. So what does it mean When it says, I'm going to bless you, and through you I'm going to bless all others. Well, I want to suggest that as we read Genesis, what we should have been learning is that those two promises go together. The blessing that is given to God's people is precisely that they will be a blessing to others, it's that they're given a purpose. Not just that they're given lots of stuff and milk and honey and all those wonderful things but they're given a purpose. And that blessing to all nations is both a purpose and a promise because at one level, it is, as we will see in this chapter, how God will use his people to bless those around him. In this case, Joseph will end up in Egypt. He will end up in charge of the irrigation system of Egypt of the bread barns of Egypt, and that will bring food to many, many millions of people, save them from a famine. But it's also, in a second sense, a hope. Because in the long sweep of the Bible, that promise to Abraham and his family that through him he would bless all nations comes as the whole story moves towards Jesus. Who comes as God's salvation for the whole world. The one in whose resurrection there is healing of the whole of creation that is offered when he returns and makes all things new again. So for Christians, we have not a protection against all the bad things that happens, but we have two things. First of all, we have a purpose, and there's nothing worse than feeling that you're useless and you're not wanted. God has called us and given us a purpose. But in front of that, he's also given us a hope that all the little things that we are doing are caught up in his big master plan in Jesus to restore the whole world. So you have a purpose and you have a promise that are there. And that's what Joseph has. And Joseph will be used In Potiphar's house, we see him bringing blessing into that house. At the end of this chapter, we will find him bringing blessing into the prison cell. And we will find later on how he blessed the whole of Egypt by bringing God's healing and God's provision of food. Now, here's the interesting thing. If I said to you of someone, there is somebody who God is using, who God is working his will through today... Our first thoughts generally would be so which church does he lead or what's his prophetic ministry or oh is that an evangelist that's teaching lots of people about jesus we would think about people that god is using mightily in terms of the spiritual things that they do wouldn't we prophets priests Preachers, church leaders, people who speak out in the public sphere for the Lord very, very clearly. But what is Joseph? We don't have any big words of Joseph. We don't have him making any big public pronouncements. We have a guy who's basically an administrator who winds up working in the civil service. He he makes the trains run on time. He, he, he He does the inventories. He does the stock taking. He runs a plantation. He'll later be a prison governor running a prison and making sure there's enough food in the cupboard and, and, and all these things happen. He's a stock keeper. He does logistics and distribution. He's probably, a, you know, I don't know what the modern equivalent would be. But all of those things are the ways that God is using him to, uh, to bless people. And, and I think that's really important that we hear that. Sometimes we divide the spiritual from the secular, the church stuff from the everyday but actually, God isn't doing that at all. As he calls you to be a blessing, it's not just that you'll run the boys' brigade or you'll, you'll do church things. It's actually in your everyday life, in the job that you do, in the, the good that you bring, in the places that you work, in the places that you care for, in the neighborhoods that you enrich by your presence and the things that you offer, the friendships, the phone calls, all of those things that God is saying important. That was the thrust of what we were saying last week. I I, I was reading something, sorry I'll skip a slide, um, this week that came from a guy called Abram Kuyper, I think that's how you pronounce it, Um, who he is isn't relevant but what he said is this, sorry the slides got awful small there so let me just read what it says. Here's what he says, there is not a square inch, In the whole domain of our human existence, over which Christ, who is sovereign, does not cry, mine. Mine. I want you to think about what you're going to do tomorrow, the places you're going to go for a minute. And just hear Jesus saying, mine. Mine. I claim that as the place that I put you and my blessing is going to fall. You know, it's the interesting thing about Abraham Kuyper is that he was a church leader. He was a theologian. He was very involved in the Dutch church. But he also became prime minister of the Netherlands. And so he was working in that very secular sphere of bringing God's blessing and political and organizational skills. I wonder how we'd feel today if we learned that the moderator of the General Assembly was to be the next prime minister. Well, he couldn't. Well, I better go there that idea and it's not just about ministers it's actually about blessed christians that are in politics whatever the party bless them and pray for them bless christians that are in banking blessed christians that are in social work blessed christians that are in education blessed christians that are in business blessed christians that are working in shops that are retail that is god bringing his blessing and his enrichment to the whole of creation When jesus called his disciples yes he told them i love you i'm going to die for you i'm going to give myself to you but he also said follow me Come and I will make you. And We'll go out together and we'll feed people. We'll go out together and we'll, we'll, we'll go to places and we'll be there. I give you a purpose. You know, I don't know whether I've told this story, but I had an experience just a, a few weeks ago of i have been out front street there and um, I found some money. You're all going to go out and have a look later on, aren't you? But it was quite a lot of money. It it, it was a couple of really crisp £20 notes. And I thought, somebody has gone to the cash line machine and got money out and it's blown away. Or they've dropped it. And you know it's going through your head? What was going through my head was, it might be someone that can ill afford to lose that. And so I thought, how am I going to get this money back to whoever dropped it? And what I did is I I went into... um, couple of the shops locally and I said I'm the minister from the church I found this money Um, if anyone comes in looking or looking in the street you see them around there's there's my my phone number Um, you can let them know I've I've, I've got their money and I can return it to them. I went back into one of the shops later on and the owner said to me um, some folk came in and they had lost their money and they were looking for it. And I'd gone in earlier and said I had this 40 pounds. And so I gave him the 40 pounds and he said, That's great. He said they'd actually lost a hundred. I think it was as much as that. It was a bit more than forty anyway. The point was he'd just given them out of his cash register everything that they'd lost. Now, why do I tell you that story? Because I came away with that 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 leap in my heart that. By doing something which had obviously impressed the shopkeeper that I'd gone trying to find where the money was going, that man in that shop, his heart had overflown in generosity. And to me, that is the blessing that God brings as we begin to take kindness into the situations that we are. We begin to look out for folk. It actually, sometimes, it won't always do that. It encourages other folk to do the same. It enriches. It's the salt and the light. And I know that many of you do that in your day jobs. It's not just the service you bring. It's that As you bring salt and light, it maybe encourages other people to start bringing blessing where, the, where you are. And that really is important today. Anyway, back to the other part of this chapter, Potiphar's wife. Now, the first thing I'd want to say about this story is we mustn't miss the fact in, in, in talking about temptation and, and, and other things that this is a story about sexual abuse. This is a story about a powerful person who sees someone in a workplace and thinks, they'll do what I want. And then when they don't get their way, starts telling lies and destroying their reputation. Now, let me say right away, before we get this the wrong way around, that in the vast majority of cases where things like that happen, and some of us will know places that that's happened, some of us may even have been the victims of that sort of thing happening in our own place. In the vast majority of places, it's a powerful man and a woman. This story puts it the other way round, but there are plenty of stories in the Bible which which don't do that, which, which, which do speak about a man and a woman. But it does make very clear this is about power. She will say later on, when she's trying to diminish him, yeah, he was trying to diminish me, but she will say, he's a Hebrew He's a foreigner. He's a slave. You brought him in. He has no status. I'm important. I will be believed and you will not. And I think one of the the strengths of the Me Too movement we've had is actually to say that we need to start believing the victims in these situations, not just that the person who has the power has the last word. You know, one of the amazing things about this, this story, preachers sometimes want to avoid stories like this because i don't want to talk about this i'm going to say the wrong thing i'm going to upset somebody but you know here's the thing the bible goes there and it goes there quite a lot it goes to these awkward places it goes to stories of adultery it goes to stories of powerful leaders like even king david and what they got up to And sometimes in the church, we don't want to talk about these things. We we don't mind somebody from the pulpit telling us what right and wrong is. But we actually don't want to start talking about these things. And that they happen in communities and that people have experienced it because we're frightened. But the Bible has no fear. It goes there. As you read this Bible full of hope and light and truth, it is willing to go into the darkest places of human experience. Wherever you have experienced, however dark it's been, there are Bible stories that will take you there. And by the way, if you don't believe me, go and read the chapter before this, chapter 38, because it's even darker. And I'm not preaching in chapter 38. I'm not that brave yet. But the Bible goes there and the church needs to be there. I've been very much aware, it came out of the General Assembly um, this year about violence against women and how churches need to be a place where folk listen. And uh, as a male up here at the front, I'm I'm aware that I've not always got that right over the years. We need to be a place where people can tell their story and, uh, and we can believe and we can listen. Even when that's sometimes very uncomfortable to hear. So with that said, let's, let's talk about this story a little bit. First of all, this woman comes and she literally in Hebrew says sex now. Now, the story is set up that this is a temptation for Joseph. But again, I love the fact that, see, a painting fills all this in, but the text doesn't. And it might well be that this is an attractive young woman, wife of the master. He may have one wife and Joseph tempted but he's going to say the right thing that might be the temptation the temptation that often powerful people have and he is in a powerful privileged position of thinking there's certain perks that go with the jobs we've seen this with politicians we've seen this with other folk who think well there's a bit of money I can get here and you know I, I now that I'm in this position I, I yeah I get my salary and I get all these things but there's a few other things I can have as well and there's a sense of entitlement and that might have been the temptation for Joseph. I'm in a powerful place. I've had all this put in my, 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 my trust. Well, I can take a little bit more. That might have been the temptation. But it's interesting that the Bible doesn't say that. It tells us Joseph was really handsome. It doesn't tell us anything about Potiphar's wife. So maybe she was the beauty that he, he, or he, he was really tempted by. But she also might have been 30 years older than him. <laughs> but then there's another temptation, isn't there? Because it must have crossed Joseph's mind if that was the case, that this woman has power. That this woman has a boss's ear. And there might have been another temptation which says, better go along with her even if oh, I might not want to. Because it's the safe thing to do. It's the thing that looks after me. It'll keep everything quiet. I'll have power over her because I'll have the story. You know, and, and that's the other temptation that sometimes we have in the world. Is it's not just that we take the stuff that we want. It's, it's that we do the things that make things easier for us. That protect us. We're looking after ourselves to make sure that we don't end up in the prison cell that Joseph ended up, or in the trouble, or or in the humiliation, or in the place where somebody can say things about us. You know, I've been very much aware sometimes of of, of that, 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 that we take the safer line because I'm looking after me. Joseph won't do that either. And again, the great thing about Bible stories is they sometimes paint just the outline of the story so that we can look at it and we can read different things into it different situations and begin to hold them up. Anyway, Joseph says, no. Sorry, this text is small. You, if you've got Bibles with you, then you can look at it. But he basically says three things when he says no. First of all, he says, I'm not going to do this because my master's trusted me. I, I, I've been given responsibility and with responsibility, you know, I, I've, got to, I've, got, I've got to live up to that. I've got to have integrity in what I do. That's very important. If you're in any position of leadership, you've been given a trust. He says, I'm not going to betray my master. I'm not going to let him down like that. I'm not going to do something which is going to hurt him. Which is going to tear it back in his face. And then he says something else. He says, my master has put everything else into my hands except this. He said, you can have everything, Joseph. You can help yourself to my food and use my kitchen. And there's my, my mini bar, you know, And you go. Don't touch my wife. The interesting thing about that is that's exactly what God does in the Garden of Eden, isn't it? He says to Adam and Eve, you can have everything, but not that. Not that tree. Forbidden fruit. And it's as if Joseph in this place is saying, I just recognize that this this is always sin. It's the one thing that you're not allowed. What is it you want? We know this with children, don't we? Tell them, you can have anything you want, but not that. What do they want? And we're exactly the same. The one thing we can't have is the thing that we want. But lastly, Joseph says, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And that's Joseph at the curt of this. It, 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 it's not just about offending my master. It's actually about my following of my God, that means that I won't do this. So even if it's acceptable to everybody else, even if Potiphar said, I find no problem, doesn't matter. I will honor the Lord in what I do. I will honor the Lord in what I do. And I think that's the key for us in, in, in any situation we're in. It's not just about what are the rules of the game where we're at, what's the ethical code where we're at, what's allowed in this situation, what's tolerated. It's actually asking the question, That says, first and foremost, I'm not an employee. I'm not a friend. I'm not a member of society. I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I will honor him in the situation I'm in. Now, sometimes there's a real moral dilemma. and We need to talk with other Christians about what right and wrong is. But very often we know what right and wrong is. It's a matter of a mindset that says, what does God want of me? What honors him in this situation? Not just what's pragmatic. Then notice what Joseph does next. And we find this in verses 10 and verse 11. He refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. One day he went into the house to attend his duties and there was no servants there. She caught him and and held his coat and he left his coat in her hand and ran out of the house. He didn't just sit with her and say no. He got the heck out of there. Out of the place of temptation. Paul will sum this up where he talks about fleeing temptation. We don't just resist temptation, we flee it. It's about knowing where we're weakest. It's about recognizing the things that we might fall into and actually making a decision that says, not only will I not do that, I'm going to run in the opposite direction. You know, there is a time that sometimes we find ourselves in certain company or certain situations where we know we are prone to temptation. Do you have a group of friends you meet with, and there's always that temptation to gossip. Or bad mouth people. There are certain things in our lives, and we will know what they are, that are just not healthy. And there is a time where we have to say, "No, I'm gonna go in and gonna be strong, but actually, I'm just gonna get the heck out of there. I'm not gonna put myself in that position, because I know I'm weak. Another Christian might be able to be strong enough to go into that situation, witness but when you are weak sometimes the the sensible thing to say is just get away from there you know sometimes we we ask questions about well what's allowed and very often what we're asking at that point is what can I get away with before I feel guilty Joseph asked a different question which is I want to honor God how far can I get away from what doesn't honor him So here's Joseph. It's interesting that Paul, when he, when he reflects on this passage, will tell us, tell Christians to flee sexual immorality, flee away from it. And the word he uses for sexual immorality is the word pornea, and it, it, it just, it, it means adultery, it means prostitution, it would cover pornography, it just everything that, that, that is not according to God's will for our sexuality. Now, it is important to say, again, ministers don't like talking about this too often. It's important to say, the Bible doesn't say sex is a bad thing. In fact, right in the beginning of Genesis, it says God made the male and female, and he said, this is good. This is what I I made for blessing. And in fact, if you read the Songs of Songs, I'm telling you where all the saucy bits in the Bible are at the moment. Read the songs the, Songs of Songs, you've got a whole book of the Bible, which is basically an erotic love poem. And it's right there in the Bible. God made this, and he made it for good. But he also made it to be important to join two people. That's why he made the context of marriage, where two people would give themselves to each other in complete commitment. The problem with casual sex, the problem with with sex outside of that that deep commitment, is it actually is saying, I want you, but I, I really don't want you. I'm really not willing to commit to you. The more important thing is what the Bible is saying. To go back to Adrian, Adrian Cooper saying that, uh, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Abraham Kuyper saying that every part, every square inch, Christ can test is that God is saying here, I want your spiritual life to belong to the Lord Jesus. I want your business life. I want your administrative skills. I want you what you do in the home and the workplace, and I want the sexual element of your life. I want everything to be mine, to be blessed by mine. Everything that we have belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul will say in in, in this context of sexuality, one of the important things he says is that you're bought at a price. Jesus died for you. God loved you that much. Therefore, worship him in your body. Give him everything that you are. This story is also a story that reminds us that sometimes doing the right thing doesn't bring an easy life. Joseph suffers for what is doing the right thing. But the purpose of his life, I think he understood was to be what what Christ would later talk about as salt and light, to make a difference. And you can't make a difference if you just go along with what's easy, or just go along with what's available. You have to be willing to pay a cost and to give it all to Christ. How does that happen? I think for Christians, as for Joseph, it's about that purpose. It's about understanding our purpose. Our purpose is not just that we get blessings and good things happening to us, our purpose is that we get the blessing in that we are a blessing, that we take what is true and what is right and what is honest out into the world and we live it. Our purpose is not in life to gratify ourselves. That's why a lot of people end up bitter and twisted because they thought that life was about getting all the things that I've got that make me happy and either they get them all and they're not happy or they don't get them all and they're not happy. But when you start to say that your purpose in life is to please the God who made you and to know the blessing of his friendship, to know the blessing of his presence, and to have that purpose that he gave you to change the world around you as you live in salt and light, and to know that even if that all goes wrong, he is working out a greater plan in Jesus Christ for the healing and the salvation of the world, and to want nothing more than that in the situations that you go into, then you have got something that enables you to live and to live for the Lord Jesus Just in finishing, there's one other thing here. And that is, again, in this passage, as in so much of Scripture, we can hear an echo. Joseph lives righteously in a broken world. But in the end, he is falsely accused, as Jesus was falsely accused. He is stripped of his clothing, as Christ will be stripped and flogged. He is punished for a crime that he has not done in a way that he did not deserve and destroyed seemingly by the powers around him. And yet Joseph will rise, won't he? He will rise from that prison cell three years later when he will become lifted up, trusted by God, And given authority over all of Egypt, not just of Potiphar's house, but of every household in Egypt. Just as the Lord Jesus Christ, as he gave himself for us and suffered for us, was raised up on the third day and given the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. And that story. That story of what God is doing in Christ should shape our lives. It should lift us in every situation we are. Not just in the sacred situations of worship as we sing a hymn, but as we live our lives, as we parent our children, as we, as we go into our workplaces, as we struggle with the ethics of the world, as we vote, as we engage in whatever area we are, that we lift our heads to what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing for us and has done for us and has called us to be in him. That hope for the whole world that is found in Jesus ought not just to be something we sing about, but transforms every inch of this world and every inch of our being. And he deals with us, not just when we are strong like Joseph was here, but sometimes when we are tempted. And sometimes when we are weak, we have other stories like David who succumb to exactly the same temptations that were put before Joseph here. And yet God loved him and forgave him. This is our hope. This is our strength. This is the transformation of whatever situation we find ourselves in, be it a prison cell, a workplace, or a pit of despair. Amen.